0: Hey everyone, and thanks for joining the show again. I know it's been a little while for new content, but I believe I have some excellent episodes lined up for you in the coming months. Given the more serious nature of the last two episodes, I think this one should be a lot more fun. So, one of the hardest things to relate to anyone who hasn't served in the military, especially in combat, is how cackling out loud, abs so sore it hurts to work out the next day breathtakingly hilarious things can be in the most random ways. And this isn't just in the downtimes, no, it could be right in the middle of a firefight, or rolling down an IED-laden street when everyone is wound tight as a piano string, or in the middle of the night in an Overwatch operation. Who knows, a lot of times you try to tell someone about it, and then after a pregnant pause and a light chuckle you settle for, oh, I guess you had to be there. Sometimes veterans gatekeep the experience by either assuming non-veterans wouldn't understand anyway or only focusing on the dramatic or even uh, grotesque. All too often though, we veterans deprive our fellow citizens of a belly laugh and insight into the lives of deployed service members by not being able to express these stories in a way that will do them justice. That's why I interviewed Brian Lutz, a former Army pilot and current writer for Duffel Blog, a military satirical news website. Brian does an awesome job communicating clarity, storytelling, and making his experiences approachable. We talk about how folks can do that better, and don't be afraid of dispelling the mystique of military life. After all, we are just regular people from anywhere. Enjoy the episode, and thanks again. Welcome to No Shit There I Was, a show committed to sharing the stories and experiences of those in and around the military for everyone to hear. So please, relax and enjoy. I absolutely love watching the greatest competitors in the world culminate years of training and effort in the Olympic Games every four years. It's really one of the coolest things that this world pulls together to accomplish. One of my other favorite parts is watching who shows up looking their best because, let's be honest, it matters. You don't see Simone Biles out there doing things no one else has done in some muted tone leotard, and Team USA sure didn't pick their gear out of a lineup of prefab shirts from companies no one buys. The thing is, you don't have to have a huge brand contract to look the best while being the best. You can have custom design and made gear at an affordable price for everyone in your unit or organization, and Emblem Athletic can make it for you. All you have to do is head to emblemathletic.com and start a style quiz to get the gear you'll be proud to wear, backed by a no-sweat guarantee. Get started today. In a world full of fitness trends and crazes, there remains one truth. There's absolutely no substitute for lifting and moving heavy stuff. And you'll probably say, but Joey, I don't have the money to buy a whole gym. You're probably right, but you also don't need a whole gym. You can get all the workout you can handle from heavy duty sandbags made by a company founded by members of our military. Voila, you have a mobile gym ready to make you sweat and get bigger in whatever corner of the world you find yourself. Head over to DesertTacticalFT.com to purchase your gear and follow Desert Tactical Fitness LLC on Instagram for workouts and other content. All right. So uh I want to welcome Brian Lutz today. Brian and I go back a little ways. We're uh we're West Point classmates. You know, I can't remember. Did we we probably had to have had a class at least together at some point.
1: Uh I don't know. I uh I mean we worked together on the Hundredth Night Show yeah. senior year, but uh, before that I'm
0: not sure that we did. Well, at the very least, we spent a fair amount of time at the Fursy, so <laughs> <laughs> fair. Fair, but First thing, I just—I'll give you first right to speak about yourself.
1: All right, fair enough. So, Brian Lutz, as you said, graduated in 2005 as your classmates out of West Point. After that, commissioned aviation bounced around a little bit. Did flight school in Alabama, out uh, to Korea for a year. Fort Hood, Iraq. Fort Hood, uh, Afghanistan. Then back through to the career course, and then my last gig I did recruiting for a little bit in the Chicago area, and then got out in 2014. So I've been out for just about six years now.
0: Yeah, we only uh, got out uh, one year apart. But I also spent my first duty station, you know, aside from training at Fort Benning, at Fort Hood, and it's like every single week there's like a one up. <laughs> News story that comes out of Fort Hood. It's insanity.
1: Yeah. I uh, I was talking with a couple other guys that I was stationed there with with obviously like all the terrible, tragic things that are happening at Fort Hood right now. And we sure. were rattling through the like fifty different SIG acts that happened while we were there where somebody, you know, was getting shot or like a club was going off limits because there was one where there was a straight gunfight with police yeah. at a at a club in Killeen. So yeah, yeah, not uh, it's it's the great place though. If you uh, if you read the sign at the front of the base, it is the great place.
0: Which I do think it's funny that you use the word sigax to define like the things that happen there, because yeah. you know obviously that's what, like that's what we use in combat to like define. Oh well, here's like a rocket attack or, or a, a you know a small arms firefighter or, or whatever, and then like you bring it back to Fort Hood and use it, they apply it there too, and it's like, yeah, that makes total sense. I mean, you
1: know I I don't know that. I don't know that most neighborhoods in Baghdad have as many Applebee's, but like, other than that, it's, it's not that super different. So yeah, 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 yeah. I think it's, I think it's apt.
0: Really just the complete reason why I chose to live in Belton.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's fair.
0: So I could be uh, that much closer to the interstate that rolls down to Austin and that much further away from Fort Hood itself.
1: Yep. Yep. Makes sense.
0: But anyway, so currently, what are you up to? What's life have for you right now?
1: Yeah. So... Live outside Chicago. I work for a candy company actually. I do marketing on part of our our, you know, brand portfolio as a as a marketer and then I do a little bit of freelance writing for the Duffel blog along with a bunch of other contributors which uh, for anyone unfamiliar is is like a satire site focused on military topics.
0: It's like the Onion for the military, I guess. Mm-hmm one of the better ways to describe, maybe y'all want to not say that, but I don't know. That's what I always <laughs> thought.
1: I, I don't know what the official party line is on uh, on quoting the onion, but uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty much how it is.
0: Yeah. So I mean, what's it like working for a candy company? I mean, I've got to ask the obvious question. Are there little bowls of candies that hang around the office that you've got to mentally keep yourself away from
1: yeah i mean people joke about like the 15 pounds you gain when you first start there but it's yeah it's it's not good for the like health and remaining not diabetic (laughs) but yeah we uh i've been there about four years ever since i got out i kind of jumped right into to marketing in consumer packaged goods um in chicago so the stuff i've worked on has been like coffee and candy basically so yeah i'm like a very awake person as a result um, yeah so
0: yeah good times i can imagine and i mean marketing for candy you know i obviously there's a i'm sure there's more nuanced than i think it is but i mean i would hope that candy kind of sells itself same with coffee i mean it's like a
1: I mean, yeah, don't tell my I boss that because <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> I like I like the job, but but yeah, no, it is uh, it is very much a struggle to just get people to buy your stuff versus anybody else's stuff is really the thing. It's not a lot of like selling people on on the notion working on coffee was the same thing where everybody consumes your product, you just have to get them to consume your product and not someone else's.
0: Yeah, lots of substitutes in the market.
1: Yep, absolutely.
0: Which I'm sure is a constant conversation in uh, in your office, but. Anyway, so writing for the Duffel Blog, you have some hilarious, hilarious articles that you've thrown out there. Thanks. I think reading through some of them, they, they I mean, it just cracks me up. Is there anything that you particularly enjoy? Is how does this, uh, how does your creative process work? And you know, do you like just have like a aha moment? The muse strikes, and and you start putting pen to paper. How does that work for you?
1: Yeah, it is honestly a little bit like that. It is something where I'm not like a big news cycle guy typically i'm not big into politics i'm not big into really like anything in the major news cycle outside of sports but yeah like every now and then you see something you're scrolling on facebook or, or doom scrolling twitter and there are things that are you know just kind of funny or ridiculous and and stuff from my time when i was in that uh we used to joke about or, or used to make fun of that i think would be kind of ripe for satire or, or to be lampoon so yeah it, honestly i started doing it some guy that I was Facebook friends with had posted a contributor application online. Anybody can can apply to do it. And I had been reading a lot of Duffel Blog stuff prior to that. And I thought it was really funny. So I, I thought I'd give it a shot. And then yeah, once I got accepted, I work in downtown and living out in the suburbs. I, most of the articles I would write on the train either into the office or out of the office. It's like a 40 minute train ride. So yeah, if I had something that I thought was funny, I would usually try and... Like I I try and land on a headline and we have like an internal group where you can float that out to the other members of the group and see if other people agree that it is funny, which is key. Yeah, because there's like a million different things that have been like, oh, this is hilarious and no one else thinks it's funny. So so there's lots of those. But then you also the ones that that resonate well, the ones that people like, it's like, OK, let's take the time and actually actually write this. So. Yeah, it's usually just I write down all of the jokes I can think of about it to begin with. And then I'll go back and like try and write a coherent, what seems like a news story. So something that's ordered comes out with upfront, here's what we're talking about. And then try and kind of fit everything in. There's always some jokes that have to go by the wayside and stuff, but try and try and keep it something that is funny first but then also try and aim for good satire so nothing that's like punching down or nothing that is you know like just obscene uh, or shocking to to be shocking or obscene
0: yeah i mean to me i think satire is one of the highest forms of comedy personally i know some people will probably argue against this it's one of the higher forms of art or at least one of the more intelligent ones because you have to have a good key in on what's real and what's outrageous and create a good mixture of the two to, to make it work. And, and the ones that work, wow, they really, they really hit it hard and, uh, and, and do very well in, in my opinion. But like I, the one you just did about the Michigan militia fights to take back domestic terrorism ministry from foreigners, it's just, just the, just the headline just drips of, of, you know, that mixture of, uh, of outrageous and in reality, that's funny.
1: Yeah. I was going to say, we're, we're kind of getting to a place where, uh, outrageousness and and reality are, are living hand in glove. But, uh, but yeah, no, I just try and like with a lot of them, it's just, and and that was one where it was more of a in the news type of thing and, and trying Mm -hmm. to figure out a way to make that funny. Cause like, there's lots of stuff going on right now that is not necessarily funny. So like, trying to find the right kind of things to laugh at in all of these situations
0: yeah. it certainly does there seem like we're living in a uh, a stranger than fiction type reality uh, yeah. where it's like every other day you look at a, at a headline and go are you, are you serious this is what we're talking about
1: <laughs> yeah exactly
0: and that's all over the place it's not just in politics either there's standard local news where it's like wow.
1: No, I I mean I'm sure there's uh there's a million things. I, I'm living just outside Chicago, so obviously there there's lots and lots of local news and, and even outside of the the standard political stuff, we still have like plenty of our run of the mill corruption and those kinds of things going on. So yeah. uh yeah, we just try and keep it interesting.
0: At least we like neither of us live in Florida where it's just <laughs> the Florida man just strikes and strikes and strikes again. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I mean, you did get to live in South Alabama, so you were, I mean,
1: Southern Alabama, not that, not that far away and Panhandle, Florida, man, I tell you what, like before being down there, you, I I thought of Florida as like Orlando and like Miami, maybe you get into the Panhandle. It's like the part of Florida that wants to like, let you know that, Hey, we were on the Southern side during the civil war. And it's like, I don't know that that's, uh, you
0: want to have as your proudest accomplishment.
1: Like if I were you, I'd maybe just be like, Hey, we have Disney world ish. like. Uh, and
0: and peanuts and
1: peanuts. Oh, boiled peanuts. Have you, are you a boiled peanut guy?
0: I'm a huge boiled peanut guy. Oh my God.
1: I, when I got down there, people talked about boiled peanuts like crazy. And, um, they're like, Oh, you, you have to try them. They're the single greatest thing ever for anybody that hasn't had one. Imagine somebody took like a regular peanut, just like a shelled peanut and then kept it in their cheek, like in their mouth for like a couple hours and then pulled it out and put it in your mouth. That is what boiled peanuts are exactly like. And you they're really like, well, but they got
0: like, describe it in the worst. That, that is what it is. People are like,
1: <laughs> oh no, no, no. They've got like spices and stuff like that. It's like, okay, so maybe that guy had it in his cheek and chewed like big red gum and then gave yeah. it to you or like was eating barbecue and then gave it to you. It's still, I am not a fan.
0: You no, know, there's a, there's actually a place here in Birmingham called the Alabama peanut company. Mm-hmm. And they have, I'm not going to get like any any money for this, unfortunately. But you know, here's a shout out to a good company that uh, they have like daily flavors, and they do like chili lime, mm-hmm. collard greens, all these all these flavors, and they're so good. Yeah, so there
1: there are plenty of regional specialties where I'm like, man, how has this not caught on? Like this should be everywhere. And then I tried those, and I was like,
0: well, I get it. Yeah, <laughs>
1: <laughs> these are only in Alabama for a reason.
0: Well, I guess so. Anyway, so. I guess at what point did you? I mean, you wrote a play in three acts that was comedy uh, in our 100th night show. Which is for any listeners that don't know, 100th night show is is a a three act play that gets put on every year, and and you basically pull things and certain experiences from some over are kind of are exclusive to things that happen to your class, and mm-hmm. some of them are just part of the General West Point experience, and it is a Comedic play that the firsties or seniors put on, uh, 100 nights from graduation. That's what Brian did. Is he, is he wrote that? But I mean, is that when you really first started writing, or, or had you taken a crack at it before then?
1: It was definitely when I first started writing. To be fair, I, I only co-wrote it. Uh, it was me and uh, and Brian Walker both. He oh, he certainly bad. deserves uh, deserves plenty of credit. Oh, absolutely. But yeah, so we. I don't know that I had written really anything. Before that, it was something where like I in high school, I definitely read The Onion a lot, very much dating myself. I would grab the like hard copy uh, versions of The Onion printed out from like the front of a Barnes and Noble. I definitely read that. It it was something when when I first started at at West Point, we were going through Beast or or through basic training. I think I was very much in a in a weird headspace trying to figure out, like, do I need to just be serious now? Like, is that going to be what it's going to be like? Yeah. And I was probably generally pretty serious to start. And then yeah, once I got to like my academic company, my my roommate was was very much not a serious guy. And once it got to the point where it's like like once you stop being scared of your own shadow and like worried about what's gonna happen and that kind of stuff, like the military in general and, and West Point in particular are are kind of ridiculous places. Like it, it, it's just kind of a ridiculous <laughs> existence on like a day to day. And there's lots of things that are very funny. So once it, it, I got to the point where it was like, OK, like these things are funny, I kind of got back into like joking and telling jokes and, and joking around with people. And then, yeah, I think junior year I went and saw the the Hunter's Night show the year before us and I thought it was funny. There were a lot of things that I think are funny about West Point that they hadn't touched on. So I was like, I feel like I've got a bunch of jokes that weren't just used. So I decided at that point to apply to write for it. And uh, it was definitely my first time writing probably anything of any kind of substance one way or the other and yeah it was uh it was a cool experience and it was a lot of fun it, it is a cool thing to write something that you think is funny and watch people perform it and listen to other people like vocally think that it's funny so
0: yeah i would be remiss not to not to add that i did get to play out some of your writing and i was that was a very enjoyable experience
1: <laughs> I, I i hope so yeah it uh i mean it was it like it was awesome because it, it is very much a whoever comes out for the hundredth night show. It's like, all right, like we hope that some of the folks have like musical talent like you do and can sing because it's it's a musical. Yeah. it's worth worth noting. But it is uh, worth noting, absolutely. but yeah, you just kind of get a mixed bag of like whoever whoever comes out. But I feel like we put on like a pretty good show. And uh, it was very much like a lot of the jokes are very much inside jokes and they're, and they're very much West Point specific. But that Mm -hmm. was kind of the thing is the whole intent is that it is a show for the cadets getting ready to graduate. So that was how we wrote it. And we felt like we delivered on that, at least to some degree, that like it was funny to the people that were there.
0: I don't know. I definitely felt like that. You know, I I had a a similar I I, I very much enjoyed creative writing prior to getting to West Point. And when you get there, it's we're going to teach it technical writing and you're Mm going to be very proficient at it. I took those lessons because my creative writing really, it, it was hard to break that. Um, oh yeah. That I got a, I got
1: a C in plebe English for sure. Yeah. I, I yeah. barely passed that class because I couldn't tell the difference between, I don't know, if it was a persuasive essay and an argumentative essay or whatever it was. Right. It was just yeah. like, it's like, look, just, just let me write something that is interesting. And they're like, no, 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 no. We know how to, we know how to do the writing. We got you. You do this. And it was, yeah, that was not my favorite experience.
0: What, voice? We don't want you to use voice. That's uh, <laughs> yeah. That's a different lesson altogether.
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly.
0: But yeah, I, mean, I, I really still to this day don't feel like I've gotten out of that mindset, and like that's just how much they hit you with it. So here I am talking, you know, on a on a podcast, uh, trying to use that as a creative outlet.
1: No, that's great. Well, and it it is something where like coming out of it. So I was a I was a history major at school, so I wrote like a lot of essays and just the way that you write even like outside of en 101 and and the plebe english class the the way that you have to write in an academic setting i feel like is a very different and weird way of writing versus like writing a story or like just writing creatively for something and then that gets reinforced your entire time in the army where you're writing like ncoers and evals and stuff like that which like could in some cases, be classified as creative writing, but it's the language you use and the, the the entire way you go about it is very awkward and weird. So like, yeah, the first couple of times trying to sit down and write something funny, it was like, yeah, no one talks like this. Like this isn't a way that anybody talks or writes for that matter. Exactly. Um, So yeah, I I had to read a bunch of like news articles and stuff like that to kind of get inspiration for this is how normal people write. This is how, and not even normal people, this is how journalists, like actual real life journalists write about stuff.
0: I think if I were to, tried to explain to people how you write OERs and NCOERs, which are the evaluation Mm -hmm. reports for officers and enlisted, senior senior enlisted. It's efficient sensationalism. How (laughs) can I write this borderline lie about someone being truthful but in the shortest sentence possible
1: <laughs> yeah it's it's the most bizarre thing because it's all yeah. on, a, on a super graded curve where you could say the guy's the single greatest soldier you've ever met and that means he's like middle of the pack that's right and then you've got your your actual like phenomenal soldiers that you're trying to talk up and you have to act like they're the second coming of christ before it resonates at all in their packet
0: yeah 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 and it, it's a trip to write one. It's it can, no one talks. <laughs> no one talks the way that no. those things are written at all. Absolutely not. Um, which seems completely counterintuitive. But so all that all that to say, I guess I kind of felt the same way, but I, I felt some of the impact of getting into, you know, West Point. There was like, oh, my God, am I going to lose my sense of humor? In mm-hmm. some extent, you know, there there was some of that for me. But then I got the same experience or a very similar experience and that started immediately finding things that were funny. So like, yeah. My my beast squad leader, very you know strict, but his presentation was absolutely hilarious. And I'll say Dan Choi, you know you're hilarious, and and you made me laugh on the inside because I couldn't laugh on the outside every single day. But actually, you know he always made fun of me because I had a smirk on constantly because mm-hmm. it was it was because of him. For instance, you know we'd have to do all the you know the table duties, mm-hmm. but he always found these really really creative ways of making sure that we knew that we weren't doing them right. So one Perfect. day someone was asking for one of the condiments Mm -hmm. and they didn't ask the right way. So he like swipes the condiments off, grabs like, I can't remember if it was the mustard or the ketchup and says, do you think this is your table? No, it's not your table. And he starts writing his name saying, this is my (laughs) table with the mustard. Perfect. How do you not laugh at that when that happens right in front of you while you're sitting there and just dying to take a single bite of something? but you know people you know you're too nervous to get your duties right and you fumble over your words
1: yeah absolutely
0: the absurdity of some of the formality
1: oh absolutely i mean the first the first time that you're you're walking a class in the winter like scurrying along like a plebe trying not to like turn your head or look anywhere and you see somebody slip on the ice and go down like they've been shot (laughs) is about the funniest thing ever and trying to continue walking and not say anything because
0: you're Wearing these smooth leather-bottom shoes. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: I, I remember marching to a football game, and as we were marching past, like some old grads with their family, like in formation. I am a plebe. I'm trying not to do anything bad. Trying not to like look around or draw any attention. And out of the corner of my eye, I can see this dad with probably like a two-year-old. A kid way too small to be playing catch and he's like go long buddy and his kid starts running away from him wearing like this straw hat i think from his dad's reunion or whatever and the dad like lobs a probably a 15 yard pass to him that nails this kid like hits him in the numbers but the kid's two so it hits him in the numbers and (laughs) knocks him over and his hat blows away (laughs) and right as it all happens the guy's I assume his wife comes walking out and is like, "What are you doing?" He's he's trying to like put all the pieces back together and like try not to laugh at that kind of stuff while you're like marching around, like marching past this uh, like uh, uh, its own three act Shakespearean tragedy happening right right in front of you. (laughs) That's right. Is is wild?
0: Yeah, yeah, or or something as simple as like you're sitting in like a parade formation. So all these people are in these perfect squares, Mm -hmm. and you have people out in front. And you have like you're you're trying to hold this rifle on your shoulder that has a bayonet on the end of it. It's mm-hmm. not sharp, but it's it's a bayonet yeah. and the, the rifle's pretty heavy. And then you start seeing a person that like kind of lean one way, oh, and then yeah. lean the other way. And all of a sudden <laughs> their knees just fall out from underneath them. They fall like a sack of potatoes on the ground.
1: And like, everyone keeps going like nothing happened. Yeah. Everybody's like, okay. just still standing there like somebody isn't like laying passed out right next to him. It's amazing.
0: Yeah, Exactly. <laughs> Cause you can't move.
1: Yeah. Can't move. All you can do is kind of chuckle.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, the absurdity of some of that stuff is just crazy. Um, But that's kind of the West point experience though. I mean, exactly. You you find those, uh, those hilarious moments that are, they're hidden between the studying and the uh, athletics and meals and yeah, all uh, the other stuff for sure. So, you know, you went aviation, which Mm -hmm. uh, was pretty tough to get in our class.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I wasn't like, you know, some, some super high in our class. Like I, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't vying for the the top spot or anything like that. I think I was top third, maybe. So somewhere in the three hundreds, I think, uh, I think it got harder. I don't know if it was our class or the one right after where they started allowing people to get the the eye surgery. So before that you had to be 2020. So then all of a sudden you had a bunch of these nerds with their glasses, uh, that all of a sudden could go aviation. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, it was it, it was a little bit up there. It was definitely my first choice. But uh, but yeah, it, I, I wasn't the first guy to get aviation for sure.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, as, as you said, you you, know, you go to flight school. That's a whole pipeline in and of itself, mm-hmm. uh, which I'm sure has its own funny stories along with it.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's a however many, couple hundred West Pointers all get there at the exact same time not having experienced college and mingle with another couple hundred ROTC kids that have experienced college uh, all living in like small townhomes in rural Alabama. So, yeah, it's wild. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, it's a pretty rigorous experience in that, you know, you do flight planning, you do, well, only reason I know any of this is because my brother and dad are both pilots. Oh, there mom. you go. I did not go that route, you know, but it's, it's pretty rigorous. It's not a, you know, it's definitely not a walk in the park and it's pretty nerve wracking. I'm sure.
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where once like with a lot of this stuff, the first time you do it, it's, uh, it's terrifying. Uh, I remember being in an aircraft the first time we did a simulated engine failure and like thinking for sure that we, <laughs> that we were going to die. Cause you go from like, fl- like helicopters don't glide. So you go from flying to not flying. And like, we got, More than ample warning, but I was sitting in the back of the aircraft, like pinned to the windows because I was like, oh my God, this is it. And it ended up being fine. Like, I mean, it was very much, but like once you start getting the hang of it, that kind of stuff, like there's a little bit of a intensity. There's a little bit of studying. There was lots of like rote memorization and reciting stuff. Yeah. Which, uh, fun tip, uh, at the time we were still in the like pickle suits, the big like jumpsuit kind of things. Yeah, yeah. And I found that if uh, when standing at attention, I awkwardly stood with like my hips thrust way forward and like leaned way back and just looked super ridiculous and focused on that. I was way better at memorizing stuff because I felt like I just looked like a complete idiot standing standing there. And so I would focus less on being nervous and more just on looking like a goober while I was doing it.
0: But I'm sure you can't find yourself in a lot of situations where you're wearing a one piece flex yeah, suit and then having to memorize it's, it's
1: more you you look like more of a creeper if you're not in the one piece and you're just throwing yeah. your hips out. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's uh, it's a weird it's a weird thing to do any in any other any other <laughs> yeah. venue.
0: Which I actually, you know, come to think of it, is pretty universal for a lot of the things that we find humor in in the military. In any other context, it's uh, yeah. maybe Yeah. You know, there,
1: there is a lot of things that you look back and you're like, I mean, it was fine. It was funny at the time. It's weird now, though. Yeah. Very weird.
0: I guess in the spirit of that, I think one of the core experiences of combat and of being in the military in general is having these very... I wouldn't say extremely exclusive because you you know, there's a lot of other people in in similar situations in Mm -hmm. the military experiencing them, but from a a larger societal sense, exclusive experiences that sometimes, man, they just don't, they don't make sense to other people. And so it kind of makes it harder, you know, to, to relate those stories. Mm -hmm. Is that something that you have trouble with, with your writing or with your everyday experiences? Yeah. Yes and no. I mean,
1: my, my experience, partially being aviation and then just the the timing of my deployments, uh, I was not by any means in the, the most like hardcore, crazy, like Charlie's in the wire, crazy experiences uh, kind of a thing. Like a lot of my experiences were relatively mundane. So I- explaining that to people... Who, who don't really have a frame of reference for that is tough because so many people think about going to iraq or going to afghanistan like an episode of like band of brothers or something like that they're like how close was your experience to the hurt locker <laughs> it's like yeah. no the, nobody's experience is like the the, the hurt locker that is oh, a big time yeah. fictional film so it is one of those things where a lot of times like joking about stuff and telling people stories does require a lot of backstory and like you end up like going back and back and back and describing stuff to where like at some point you're like okay so the taliban is the bad guys and like it, it feels very foundational but at the same time it is something where absent of the things where it's absolutely like you just had to be there there are lots of things that are like funny or and then that were funny to me at the time that are also funny now like looking back on and telling people about because it, it's just like just ridiculous experiences like it's just like, yeah. this is really what happened, this is really how it went down, like this is dumb but funny, kind of a thing,
0: yeah, well, you got one
1: yeah I got uh, I got one, so uh, I was thinking or about a it Can we get uh, yeah more? yeah, yeah. so I was thinking about it I, I was trying to think if I was conflating two different events i don't think I am, but we had we had one in Iraq that that jumped out that only because of like it, it having multiple Touch points. I wasn't even there for the original event. So so we covered an area from Baghdad, south to Kuwait and east to the Iranian border, more or less. But there were certain
0: certainly really big area.
1: Yeah, it was a huge, huge part of the country, but there were certain parts that we, we visited more often than others. One place that I I think I only ever went to once was Basra down in the Southeast of the country. We had some aircraft go down there one night. We didn't get there often, but it was like we were in Baghdad right at the end of the surge. So things were super quiet, not a lot going on, just like doing our thing. So came in one night, we were doing launch recover launch for the aircraft. We only flew at night in Iraq. So aircraft are coming back, guys get off the aircraft and they're like, you are not going to believe what just happened? We were down at Basra. Is the craziest experience. So they had landed. They taxied in to next to where the Apaches that were down there were parked. And as they're pulling in, the tower calls them and is like, aircraft on the taxiway, be advised. We are Juggernaut. And they're like, okay. Like, what? no idea what Juggernaut means. Like, <laughs> it's one of those where it's like, this is like, is this a code word? Like, so they call back and they're like, tower, what is Juggernaut? Tower calls back and is like, confirmed, juggernaut. And they're like, okay. And right after that, a mortar or a rocket explodes on the airfield. Like something blows up on the airfield. And they're like, whoa. And something else blows up. And they're like, oh, my God. There's some guy out in front of them on the taxiway driving a gator who dives off. The gator peels away. And so they call back. They're like, Tower, you're taking indirect fire. And the tower calls back, Roger, juggernaut. And they're like, is that what Juggernaut is? Like, so <laughs> so they're like, we got to like, so they want to posi- like reposition because if they just take off, normally start taking rounds like that, you just take off right from where you're at and fly out of there. The problem is they are right next to a bunch of Apaches. And if they take off, they'll probably flip one. So they're like, Tower, we need to reposition immediately to take off. And the tower again comes back and is like, yeah, understand we are Juggernaut. And they're like, OK, fine. So... <laughs> They start rolling forward and the guy who dove off the gator is still in the middle of the taxiway and he sees them rolling at him and like, it's dark. So he doesn't know if they see him. So he starts flipping a flashlight at him and they're like, he better move. Like we're just going to run him over. If he doesn't like we're going. So about 20, 30 yards away, finally he figures like these aircraft are not going to stop. And then just like rolls sideways Off of the taxiway to like barrel roll out of the way. So they're telling the story. They took off. Everyone was fine. They were like, apparently juggernauts of things. So if they tell you that, that's like that's what's going on. So we're laughing about it. We're like, that's crazy. So fast forward two, maybe three months, and I'm talking to another one of our classmates, Pete Mamone, over the phone, who's an Apache guy who is stationed at Basra. And I'm like, oh my god, we had some guys down there not that long ago. You're not gonna believe this they had this whole thing and there was this juggernaut, which whatever the hell that means. And he's like, some guy dove off this gator. So that's tearing off. And they almost ran him over. So this guy had to like roll out of the way. And there's a super long pause. And Pete's like, well, I wasn't going to get fucking run over. It, it was him. It was hundred percent him in the taxiway. He was very mad. He was like, well, like the gator. Okay. So the gator kept going, but it didn't go that far. was he's like, I'm not going to get up during an IDF attack. like, He's like, I'm not going to stand up and run around while there's like mortars exploding. So, yeah, turns out uh, some of my guys almost ran over Pete while he's lying in a taxiway trying to flash him with a flashlight, being like, hey, man, it's Juggernaut. Just just leave. So that was fun. That's one that uh, I think I probably think that's a much funnier story than he does. <laughs>
0: yeah, but the fact oh, that yeah. it's Pete oh, is it was great.
1: It, it was one of those things where it was one of my favorites coming back and, uh, and telling people so there was another one in less of like individuals and more of just a like army absurdity kind of thing in Afghanistan. I was thinking about we had uh, so we sewer station in Sharana, this little strip built by the Russians in the mid 80s that they would built some new buildings around and uh, they built the place where we were going to stay like right before we got there. Like our first three months in country, we had to stay up in Bagram because they were putting up the tents that we were going to live in. So we got down there. We start running missions to like the surrounding area in what is like East, Southeast Afghanistan. And as units are coming in and out, they swap out a bunch of equipment. And there was this one place just to the North of us called Andar, which I will always remember because a new unit ripped in there. So a new unit had just come in. We'd probably flown them in honestly And they were getting all of their equipment and some of the stuff they needed were these uh, 105 howitzers. So big, relatively large howitzer, big uh, artillery piece, but it is small enough that you can actually fold it in half. And the way you transport it is you roll it into the back of a Chinook. So you roll it in and the barrel sits between the two pilots when it's rolled in. So it it looks cool. You couldn't fire it that way because it's like jackknifed in half. But it makes the aircraft super heavy. And the heavier the aircraft is, with standard reason, the more wind that we kick up. So we get this mission to go to Andar, and we've got like a bunch of missions stacked up to go there because they're getting all new guns. They're getting a bunch of new equipment. So we load this artillery piece in, one in each aircraft. We're flying as a team of two. and We're getting out there, and Andar has this big pad area for the aircraft to land so it's this big gravel area that has these two parking pads that are right next to each other so you land side by side basically and from your time in the military you know that there is nothing that every sergeant major hates more than a giant unused area so they always want to put something there and you know 99 of the time there are no helicopters parked there so this is just wasted space so we're coming in our first time and we're on our final approach. And we notice just off the side of the parking area, two porta potties. And we're like, Ooh, like I hope those porta potties are tied down. Cause, uh, it's about to get real windy. And like some places will have porta potties, like ratchet strapped to the ground and like staked in that kind of stuff. These were not. So fortunately no one was in there because they would be dead. But as we came in, you could watch as the wind catches these porta potties, and like you would think it would just blow them over. But apparently, something with the aerodynamics, it picked them up like the phone booth in Bill and Ted's and like launched them probably 20 yards upright. Before they like hit the ground and then slid and just left like a blue smear for another like 15, 20 yards. So <laughs> we land, we're like, we call uh, LZ control, we're like, hey, hey, Andar, like you guys gotta move those porta potties or you gotta at least like tie them down or something. You you can't just leave them there. They call back, they're like, yeah, Roger, got it. Like, thanks for the, thanks for the guns. So roll the roll the artillery pieces out. We take off, we go back. A couple days later, we get another mission to take more guns out to Andar. They would you know, change the sequencing on the mission. So we're not predictable going to the same place. So I think we even checked beforehand, like, hey, make sure that they move those porta potties with our headquarters. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, they said it's fine. So we go flying in there. And as we're getting close, we're like, those porta potties are back up. And we're like, well, hopefully they're tied down this time. Spoiler alert, not tied down. So they do the exact same thing. We launch those things another like 20, 30 yards because they had just seen them like on their side and someone had decided like, let's stand these back up. Let's move them the 40 yards back to where we were and let's put them in the exact same place. Again, not tied down. So same thing happens. We shoot those things halfway across the fob. So we call (laughs) the PZ control that time. We're like, all right, look, like we're not coming back in here unless you guys like tie these down or get rid of them. Like those could hit somebody or somebody could be inside and like that's dangerous. And they're like, yeah, 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 we got it. We got it. So we leave a couple days later coming back in. And this time we like, again, check with our talk. We're like, you need to call them and tell them that if we see those porta potties, like we're not coming in. And they're like, OK, got it. No problem. So we're flying in and there are no porta potties. We're like, great. In the place where the porta potties were, there's like a group of soldiers standing around. And we're like, OK, like can't really tell what they're doing, but like everything's fine. As we get under short final, we realize. So, like coming into land, we realize that uh, they got rid of the porta potties, which is great. But again, can't have that open space. Just doing nothing is a group of soldiers with burn barrels, burning jet fuel and human shit. Of course. So of course. as we're coming into land, <laughs> this is the way those guys scatter because the wind is now hitting that barrel, which it can't pick up. One of those giant barrels. It's hundreds of pounds when it's full of jet fuel and excrement but it is just firing flaming turds all over the place it's just like a hellfire of (laughs) dookie spreading all across this general area we're like you know what like we're not even gonna say anything like at this point if they're good with that we're good with that so Yeah, I think they eventually moved it, but uh, it was amazing. It was one of those things where, like, if you've never seen people run from their lives from flaming turds, uh, you haven't lived. Tell you what, I mean,
0: (laughs) I mean, I don't know if I have one that really matches up with that. (laughs) uh,
1: It's just it's it's a it's a ridiculous experience. It's one of those things where it's like we felt bad for those guys for sure, obviously, but it's it's something where it's like it's it's so just beyond ridiculous, and and it's one of those things where it's like they knew that like we were coming in and then it's super windy and then we're going to blow all this shit everywhere. But uh, yeah, they wanted to keep uh, keep trying it. Like eventually it's going to happen. So,
0: Oh, I mean, that's just,
1: yeah, it's great times. It was great times. <laughs> was great times. <laughs> yeah. There was a, uh, there was a million different instances where people just like wouldn't secure stuff. Right. And like, I, I watched more stacks of plywood turn into like death Frisbees because Somebody would just like kind of half tie it down. And then when we would come in, it would come loose. And we would just like eject stuff over the Hesco barriers and like out of the fob, like not intentionally. It's very clearly marked as like, this is where the helicopters go. And we can't really tell on our way in what is tied down and what isn't. But like watching those things just fire over a wall like we're Gambit from the old X-Men when we were kids, just with playing cards. It is (laughs) crazy to see.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, but it's so different. You know, I I was, Mm -hmm. I was a ground guy and it's very true about the use of space. Like I, I don't think there's, you know, a senior NCO in the world that looks at it like a space and goes, you know, I think exactly, exactly.
1: Like it's, it, it is almost a they can't help themselves type situation. So it was one of those things like if it happened once we were not like, we wouldn't get mad. Like it it was potentially dangerous. was the reason that we'd be like, Hey, don't do that. But like the first time it's like, all right, I can see them being like, Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah. The the helicopters are going to go there. (laughs) But like after the second time, it's like, all right, man, (laughs) like at a certain point, you got to like just invest in some ratchet straps or something. Tie this stuff down.
0: Yeah. But I mean, that's kind of the thing about, you know, Mm -hmm. different different perspectives. You know, you, you get to see things from the air. Like I remember a, a particular uh, mission that we went on for whatever reason. I was out in the middle of nowhere the second six months of my mm-hmm. Afghanistan tour. We were just out in the middle of nowhere, and so I had to have air support a lot. But for whatever reason, when I planned a mission, I never, they'd be, oh no, you know, you may get it like halfway through. And I was like, okay, but I mean, you know, that's the only thing that keeps us from getting in like just a mm-hmm. knockdown drag out. Right. And they're like, Oh yeah, you know, but you know, it's just what we got. All right, fine. But some of the interactions, like we were so hungry for that stuff. We had this one mission where it was like, Hey, we want you to drive n- as far North as you can. And then basically I just had to go up there and see if there's mm-hmm. anybody that it was worth talking to. Well, I mean, we got all the way up there and they were like, people like going, okay, well, uh, who are you? Um, are you the Russians? And they're like, no, we're not the Russians guy. Um, but we're here and we're not going to kill you. <laughs> um, but when we were on that mission, though, we're driving north and like I see mm-hmm. like a glint, right? Like a little, yeah, somebody's yeah, yeah. obviously trying to look at us and, and the sun's beaming right off their their little mm-hmm. binoculars. And so right at that point, I knew we were having Apaches come on station. So I like called my, my, uh, my tactical operations center. I called them. I was like, hey, make contact with those guys and tell them don't mm-hmm. come over the ridgeline yet. I want them to get their optics and I don't want them to come over just yet because I don't want them to spook these guys. So we played it just right. And basically, these guys take a look over. They get they get a good distance away, and they're they're looking. And as soon as they pop over the ridge, these guys jump on their little motorcycles and start taking off. I'm like, okay, well, that's obviously <laughs> suspicious. So again, they come on over and say, "All right, just start going north, and just tell us what you see. Uh, I want you to keep tracking them, keep looking at them." Um, they're like, okay, yeah, sounds good. So they're watching, and I don't know, I don't even know how far out they were uh, when they saw it, but then they saw the machine gun uh yes pk I think. I think so pkm yeah, yeah, yeah one of those two so he's like yeah yeah we got one hanging out of this guy's mm-hmm. you know this guy's jacket they're both on the same motorcycle i was like that's easy so one thing that people may not know is if you're like a ground commander you have to like give the approval for somebody to shoot mm-hmm. or to drop yeah. a bomb or whatever it is so you have to give your you know, your initials they didn't even have to ask Boom! Yeah, yeah. Here's yeah my yeah, initials yeah. go. And they're like, <laughs> <"Well>, okay. <laughs> like, but it was great. It Ended up being you know successful, and then we didn't have any trouble the rest of the way, the rest of the day. But I think that's kind of one of the cool things about. It's awesome to have helicopters on the you know out there on the battlefield because it's a capability that you know you get the guys on the station. You know, they people mm-hmm. can hear them, people can see them. They know what's happening. They know they don't want to mess around to you because they have you there. But. My point being, what I'm trying to get to is, I'm sure there's some really funny stuff that you saw that just because you're in the air, it's just like...
1: Yeah, well, so it was funny... In the Chinook, like the, the most advanced optics we have are are just straight up eyeballs. So I was attached in Afghanistan to an Apache battalion as like part of the task force. So all those guys had and all this stuff where basically you can zoom way in and you can see exactly what people are doing and forward looking infrared and all that stuff. Yeah. So we, we actually at one point during the deployment, once we had like we we're on a on a base pretty much all the time, like you're on base, you'd go off and fly missions and you come back to the same place. So that affords certain benefits where like we were able to set up uh, like our own internet. And then once we got it reliable enough that we have like APO boxes, you could get stuff mailed to you. So I purchased our own Chinook optic systems off of uh, Amazon, which was uh, like an old timey telescope and a pair of those opera binoculars (laughs) that come on the little stick. So so we would carry those out every (laughs) now and then just uh, as like a dumb thing. But honestly, it was funny for as much as the, the area we were in, apaches like we had pretty consistent troops in contact we had apaches like laying into guys pretty often it was funny when we first set up in Sharana. i think like the second or third day we were there and apache was doing a maintenance test flight which they would do armed and <laughs> they had just set up the chow hall and they were like they called the tower they're like hey uh i think there's some dudes setting up rockets like pointed at the chow hall and they're like oh yeah like where you know whereabouts and they like you know give them the the coordinate and they're like oh yeah yeah we're looking at them in the the j lens which is like this big blimp in the sky like looking at them they're like yeah they're they're definitely setting up rockets and they're like can i blow them up and they're like yeah i mean i guess so yeah please do so they blew them up and then after that we never got rocketed because they were like there are aircraft in the air around this place like all the time so yeah generally speaking like our fob was pretty quiet we would get lots of being in the chinooks and, and not Oftentimes, not having uh, Apaches with us, we would get lots of interpreter calls from the base where we'd be coming into land, and the PZ control who had an interpreter next to him on a, on occasion that would be like listening to like radio chatter in the in the clear would be like, "Oh, oh, the uh, yeah. the Taliban said that they see you." We're like, "Okay." And they're like, "They said that they said that they see you coming into land." We're like, oh, "Okay." And they're like, "They said that they're getting their RPG ready." It's like are they really getting their RPG ready? And they'd be like, oh, they said that they're going to shoot it. And they said, they're going to shoot it in just a second. And they said, they're going to shoot it right now. And you're at a certain point. You're like, please stop telling me this stuff. Like I, I'm not going to, I'm not doing anything (laughs) different, but it would just be like, they would try and like psych you out so one of my pilots liked to one of the radios we didn't use as often our uhf usually didn't have like uh secure codes loaded into it because we we it had a ton of interference you couldn't really hear anything on it anyway so it was unsecure when we were flying around in our unit anyway so he would flip over to that and just uh, like yell stuff in the clear at them. <laughs> he would just be like, I swear to God, if you fucking shoot at us, I'm going to come out there and punch you in the dick over like an unsecure radio <laughs> just in the event, uh, trying to like uh, do a little psych in them out right back. So I don't know if anybody ever heard that, but uh, yeah, it was good times.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. You know, one of the things that veteran culture is pretty kind of a it's, it's, it's a really odd landscape in that. You know, you have some folks that that get out and they, you know, they're conscientious of the fact that they're kind of going back into a world that doesn't really understand some of the things they've been through. And some are like, okay, well, I need to adjust Mm -hmm. myself and I need to be cognizant of that and say, well, I'm not going to get frustrated when Mm -hmm. I have to explain something to somebody. But then you kind of have this other side of it where you have people that kind of wear that on their sleeves or they wear some absolutely literally on their (laughs) T-shirts of I've got this experience that you can't relate to, and I'm not even going to try to bridge that gap to relate it to you. And so they kind of get caught up into the dark humor and tell all these like off color jokes. It's just this really weird thing. I mean, have you kind of witnessed the same thing? It it, is
1: funny because a lot of the, a lot of the people that get, that get really into that honestly remind me a lot of, um, like the goth kid in any high school coming of age drama where it's like mom and dad just don't understand so like it is something where yeah a lot of people get really into that and a lot of people will talk about how like oh back when i was in the army like things were so much funnier but then like when you ask him for examples or like what was funny people like reference like they'll be like oh people could tell dead baby jokes and everyone thought it was funny it's like was that the funniest thing that ever happened? Like, was that really the funniest part of your military experience? (laughs) Like, so it, it is one of those things where telling people funny stories about Iraq and Afghanistan or just the military in general, it is one of those things. Like a lot of the things that happen are funny just on their own and are still funny years later. It's just a matter of like, you may need to tell more backstory. You may need to give more context, But, yeah, it strikes a weird balance because people want to have that recognition for like, hey, what I did, you did not do. But I do think there's way too much of the and people will say they're like, I could never imagine or like I couldn't I I couldn't I could never do what you did. And it's like you could like you didn't, but you could like it's not it's not something where it's it's unfathomable that you know, average citizens could, could actually do these types of things. Like most of the people in the military are generally very normal people. It's just a matter of like, they decided to do it. That's really the, the key difference. And like a lot of the more like funny and ridiculous things are people in crazy situations or like with crazy things happening that are very normal people. I've told people a bunch of times about flying around in Afghanistan at one point doing an assault we're coming into land i was in chalk one we've got chalk two behind us so i'm the lead aircraft there's a second aircraft behind us we're both loaded with guys into like not a great area but not like the the worst one or anything and we're coming into land and like we we have it's just like an open spot in the trees it's like an open field in a in a forest uh in these mountains and there's a couple of open spots so me and the guy i'm flying with are like we'll go to the farther one and let chalk Two land who's landing behind us land in the near one so we call them we're like hey we're touching down we left you an open spot behind us (laughs) and they call back and are like hey we're gonna do a go around which means like they're gonna do a quick loop before they actually come in and land uh or like a big circle around they're like hey we're gonna do a go around pretty sure dean just killed a guy and we're like (laughs) i'm sorry what we're like a a bad guy and he's like oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, bad guy. Uh, You guys, they, like, they were shooting at us right after you passed over. We're like, oh. And Dean killed him? And they're like, yeah, 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 I think so. Like, well I don't know. We're like, oh, uh, okay. Are you, are you guys all right? And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, fine. Like, it was crazy. We're like, okay. <laughs> so, like, they land, we let everybody out, we get back. And I want to say they maybe had a couple of rounds in their aircraft, but it was like, yeah, like, I... Things like that, where it's like that, I think to me is more the like suspended disbelief is the wrong term, but it's more the like difference in experience kind of a thing. It's not that I felt like I was like a totally different guy or or things were so drastically different when I was there. It's more like, yeah, the things that you go through, the things that you take part in are weird looking back on even now, just being in the civilian world. It's like, yeah, that's weird. And it's funny in its in how bizarre it is but it wasn't something where it was like oh it was hilarious because he killed that guy it was like it's very much just like it's funny and bizarre how we all reacted to it where it was like i think he just killed a guy it was like (laughs) oh geez so yeah like there there is a lot of that and there is something where a lot of people have it, it my experience is like I said, we're very vanilla and very like, if anything, I feel like I I didn't contribute a whole lot to us winning the war on terror uh, or anything like that. It was just, you know, doing my job kind of a, kind of a thing. A lot of people have a lot of experiences yeah. that like, that are like more traumatic or that they need to talk about. And like, that is great that people are more encouraged now than I think they were to talk about it and to do those things. And like, absolutely. But like, those are probably not. Yeah those people's only experiences like there are like and you can you can talk about one without diminishing the other in my opinion it's something where you can talk about the funny things that happen and talk to people about how it was on like a daily and like just the dumb shit that you've done like i i've watched more people just like do as a cadet and just out in the army like just do dumb stuff because they're bored then oh yeah you know anywhere else in in my life just because you're you're living with those people twenty four seven. so so yeah there's plenty of that and there's plenty of things about it that are like hilarious i mean the the number of times we were yeah we would like mess around on like radios like calling people in and stuff like that just because we were bored we used to in iraq we had to fly a bunch of these long routes from uh north of baghdad taji to this ali air base in like nazaria which is like way south almost in kuwait so every time we would, well, every time, about half the time we would go down, I would talk on the radio and pretend to be German. Um So I would call, I would call into the tower and try and convince them that we were like, not that we were German aircraft, but just randomly the Americans had a, had a German guy flying. It would just, I would call in and be like, yeah, hello, they're coming in and um, we need some petrol and uh if you could like bring out some yum-yums or something, <laughs> we are so hungry. You wouldn't even believe it. And like, it was something where it was just like, it was funny. It was fun to do. It would really confuse the air force controllers at that base. Cause it was an air force base. So they'd be like, Oh uh, yeah. They, they screwed me up a couple of times. Cause yeah.
0: Cause some we'd be young-yums. like, yeah, we are just sitting here on the
1: taxiway. And, uh, we need some petrol when you got it and uh they'd be like oh oh okay um how many liters of petrol do you need and so we're in the cockpit like oh, fuck. <laughs> like how many gallons in a liter so we would just be like um you know what all of it i just need as much as you can give me um uh, <laughs> so like stuff like that it was like funny and fun but it's like a product of boredom. It's a thousand percent just like sitting there and being like, there's not really anything going on. Like, this is a a pretty quiet night. And like, when you're flying, you got to pay attention. But like, when you're just sitting there, you're like, you know, it would be funny. Like, there's a million different things and a million different times that stuff started with, you know, it would be funny. That, yeah. Like, yeah, those are the experiences. Like, when I'm talking to like, just friends and stuff like that. Like, if I tell stories about my time in the army, those are the types of things that I usually tell much, much more often.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I completely agree about the boredom thing. And you're just th- sitting here thinking about the things that happen out of sheer boredom. Like we had a mm-hmm. kind of outpost house in Iraq where we would rotate out of there. Uh, I was with uh, John Thomas. All right. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. was one of the platoon leaders. And so we and Chris Larson was the other one until mm. he got his finger blown off. Actually, technically, he got his finger shot off. Uh, and I still call him <laughs> uh, Nubby every chance I get uh, because of it. But which is. This is kind of this is kind of like genuinely dark humor, like where when when that actually happened,
1: genuinely yeah, oh, I was super
0: concerned and I wanted to yeah when he came into the to the base that you know into our into our cop you know I was one of the first people that was in there, I was talking to him and so <laughs> I had to make the joke because it was the finger they got shot off. I was like, dude, now you have a permanent shocker, <laughs> and <laughs> he looks at me. <laughs> Screw you. But it's just one of those things where, like, I mean, that's just—I don't know. That's what you oh, say to, to lighten the mood, to we, give levity. We
1: had one of our one of yeah. our pilots, a guy Dan May, probably the nicest guy, like the most straight-laced, cool, calm, and collected, like pure professional type dude. Fantastic instructor pilot, great guy. One of those like heart rate never gets above sixty-five types of dudes that like is essential and fantastic. But was like always just like you know quiet and calm and like yeah hey you know here's what's going on that kind of stuff yeah he randomly like we didn't get shot at a whole lot in afghanistan frankly just uh, i think because they couldn't tell whether whether or not we had apaches with us so like and generally speaking if we got shot at when there was apaches with us whoever shot at us would get blown up so like they would usually leave the aircraft more or less well enough alone but anytime we did get shot at it was always while dan was flying Like anytime we got rounds in an aircraft, it was always Dan's aircraft. So we started like a whole like legend of Dan May where we were like, He is irresistible to Taliban bullets and hot hot ladies. And like (laughs) he went on R and R probably home to like ohio or somewhere like that but like we were telling people that he was like in vietnam drinking cobra piss and like doing all kinds of crazy shit to the point that like random staff officers were like kind of like intimidated by him just by virtue of their like that is that's dan may like he's he's fucking crazy and it was like he's the nicest like calmest dude and like a fantastic like pilot professional but it was like dan may dude he's like he basically james bond and like it was because he kept getting shot at like it was not a like fun thing or something that he was like, you know, jonesing for. It wasn't like he's like trying to put himself in these crazy situations, flying the exact same missions. But like three or four of them where he's the one who gets shot at. were like, it's because they know Dan fucking May is out here. <laughs> they got to take him down. It's like Jack. Yeah, yeah, Ball, yeah.
0: basically. we had uh, the chocolate chip cliff bars. You had a bad reputation in my company. So they like people would start uh-huh. checking people for cliff bars because every time somebody would go out and eat a chocolate chip bar while on patrol, we <laughs> nice. they get in a firefight. And so I always carried a chocolate chip cliff bar with me because I got hungry and they were like the most, like, I didn't want to yeah, carry totally. a honey bun out with me because <laughs> yeah. you know, they're just a little fat pill and I would rather have a, a cliff bar. So they always got mad at me because I'd always carry one with me. Um, and we didn't, uh, I guess we kind of did, but we were going to get in a firefight anyway. Cause I always went on the patrols where we were going to get in one. Um, <laughs> it's kind of a double whammy. Yeah. It's just one of those things yeah it is it is
1: i thought i thought i frankly thought you were going a totally different direction with that because we had a bunch of guys that got way into fitness when we were there (laughs) that would just eat like protein all the time and uh a chinook the the air flows from back to front so those guys i i remember being on a flight with one of them and every time he would he was in the right seat and i was in the left and every time we would turn right and he would look to make sure we were clear i would take one of his cliff bars and throw it in the back because uh yeah, people would smoke out the entire cockpit with one of those. as their, their bad juju?
0: Yeah, I'm sure. No, I, no, I wasn't going that way. But there was there, the, going yeah, back yeah. to the uh, the boredom thing back at that outpost. So for like months, there was a car of one mm-hmm. of the guys that got detained. And so when they asked if they wanted the, you know, our unit to bring or our company to bring the uh, the car back, they were like, "No, we don't want the car." No. So this car just mm-hmm. sat out at this op house, mm-hmm. not doing anything. So I, I lay down and take a nap one day and we're out there. It's kind of the middle of the day. It's hot. There's nothing you can really do but sleep. And you can't even sleep all that well because you just can't get down. Yeah. Like you're like, you're sweating right. and it's just, uh, mm-hmm. there's no airflow. So I like bolt up from the sound of like this like crashing sound. I'm mm-hmm. like, what the hell is happening? I run outside and a bunch of my soldiers are in the car and they're, they've decided because we're not doing anything at the moment, that they're going to go all duke's a <laughs> hazard on this car and drive it over this Perfect. little ramp that they've built. So I mean, at that point I'm just like, okay, well I can get e- I can either get really <laughs> super pissed right now at them, yeah, you know, doing this or I could just tell them to go put on their helmets <laughs> and <then> let
1: <laughs> it's a little bit awesome. Yeah. And
0: see it happen because it's it's a little bit awesome and they kind of need a little, you know, Absolutely. stress stress valve right now. Because we were doing anything with yeah. it. We weren't gonna do anything with the car. Yeah, that's what happened. They took it off of several jumps and I was like
1: That's that's amazing. I'm not they here. get all four wheels off at the same yeah. time. That's that's the goal. Yeah, nice. on
0: one jump, on one jump they did. Uh there's somewhere somewhere there's a video <laughs> floating around of that. And I don't know where yeah, it is. Yeah, That's probably
1: fair. There's I mean, there may well be somebody getting yeah. VA benefits right now on like, yeah, these back problems. I don't know where it's from. <laughs> yeah. Oh man uh. Oh, uh, that's amazing.
0: Yeah. And there's the other one where we started creating these like amazing combat photos because uh, mm-hmm. once again, out of boredom, we said, hey, we need to go burn these reeds mm-hmm. around this canal down because it's impeding our line of mm-hmm. sight, which it could be argued whether it was or was not, but we needed something to do and we didn't have anything to do. So we've got these photos of these guys like running away from <laughs> these like huge flames nice. from burning these dry reeds <laughs> right next to it to a canal bed. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> it's just like the stupid stuff this is the stupidest little stuff that you do out of boredom and but it ends up being hilarious and these funny memories
1: well some of the only like i was bad about taking pictures pretty much the entire time i was in but some of the only pictures that i have from iraq are uh, a friend of mine on halloween or right before halloween sent me an email and was like hey if i send you a halloween costume will you wear it and i was like it, one, it won't get here before Halloween. And two, I won't wear it on Halloween, but I will wear it. So he sent me a full Spider-Man costume, complete with like little booties to put over your shoes. So I went out at one point with uh, with Mike Tully, our classmate, and a couple other folks onto the flight line and put it on and took a bunch of pictures like dressed as Spider-Man fucking around with the aircraft, which I, I am still <laughs> legit proud of them because they are some of the most ridiculous images you'll see where like I showed it to people and they're like, did they have somebody come to your base dressed as Spider-Man? And it's like, no, 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 that's just me. We were bored. <laughs> it was like a random day in December <laughs> and I'm out on the flight line in a full Spider-Man costume with like a PT belt on and a holster jumping around aircraft, just being an yeah. idiot.
0: No, I mean that's that's exactly, exactly exactly what happens. So one of the things I like to talk about here is helping relate experiences really kind of the purpose of the show is to how do we mm-hmm. better help people understand the military experience and how do we help encourage storytelling and in relating yeah you know, that life to people that may not have people in their lives that know about it or you know the, I think you spoke to it very well you're mm-hmm. like, well, I just can't imagine. You know, yeah. well, no, you could. How do we encourage people to help share that and, and be relatable to basically the the rest of the our citizens that that support us, but they just don't know how or they don't know they don't understand.
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I it is one of those things where I think some of it is if you're bad at telling stories, then you're, you're, you probably won't be that much better at telling like military stories, but lots of guys, especially lots of guys yeah. that I ran into in the army are great at telling stories. Like they're great at telling jokes, they're great at telling funny stories. I think it is one of those things where recognize that you're going to have to take the time to like, Talk back some of the things where it's like all the way back to, you know, okay, so Al-Qaeda is the bad guys in this. Like you need to understand that before we go forward and actually tell people those stories and talk through them. The thing that you have to understand in going into it, though, is that you have to be willing to like take some of the mystique off of your experience. And that can be hard for people to do because some of the like the like mom and dad just don't understand is to an extent we don't want them to understand because it makes it seem less special if you didn't actually have to be there to get the joke. Yeah. So in the same way that like explaining an inside joke that your friends have to somebody, like you could probably get them there, but the concern is like, well then it's not as special. It's not like just something that you and your friends share is something that's funny. You got to be willing to take the veneer off for some of those types of things. And you don't have to do that with every single experience. Like there are things that are more serious or that are like that you are proud of that you can can and should be proud of of your military experience, and you can keep those as you know your sacred cows if you want. But it's a matter of like the things that are funny, the things that are ridiculous. Like people still don't know those stories, and yeah, maybe they don't have context for them. But you can give them that. It, it's just recognizing the fact that you can tell people these funny stories and give them a better impression of what your actual experience was like. Because again, so many people. Come away with your military experience is like Band of Brothers or it's The Hurt Locker or one of these other you know movies that are about like worst case scenarios and like single events in time and like these terrible things or like World War Two, basically, maybe Vietnam. Yeah. And it's like for the vast majority of people, that's not what your experience was. And that's that's not a lot of how your day to day was. So yeah, you can hold those like big time, like major experiences for a more serious venue or a more serious time. But when you're just like telling people about funny stuff that happened, recognize that it was a whole part of your life. Like, so you you can and should talk about it with people because it is your experience and you can let them know about it. But then on top of that, like be willing to provide the backstory and provide the context so that they can get the joke rather than just be like, all right, so we're hopping out of this LMTV and somebody's like, what is that? And you're like, Oh, ruin the story. Like, you know, give them the little bit of background that they need. Yeah. Explain it to them. Like, you know, like they don't know anything about the military. Cause a lot of people don't. I, when, uh, when I found out I was deployed to Iraq, I had more like a disconcerting number of people tell my wife that they were going to be worried if she decided to go with me. And it was like, she can't go with me to Iraq. Like, what are you talking (laughs) about? Like, but like, that's the gap. Like, that's the thing is people don't necessarily for as much as they're like, yeah, it's pretty much a shooting all the time. They also don't realize that like, yeah, she's going to stay home and I'm going to go. So like, there's no real context. So if you're willing to walk it all the way back, I think you can still tell people very funny stories and you can joke with them about stuff and you should like share those things that are funny because it, it helps to remember. It helps to like look back on some of the the fond memories fondly, as opposed to you know just thinking through some of the ones that are that are maybe less. That
0: yeah, and I I, I think that's a perfect way to put it. I can't add anything because you said it perfectly. Well, let's not get crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but I think you hit the points though. I mean, I think sometimes you've got to pull down the pull down the veneer and yeah, be willing to let and, some
1: people in, in in on the joke.
0: Yeah, it, because the thing is, it's not a leap. I think you know whether you're telling something that affected you in a serious Mm way or whether you're telling a humorous story all you're doing is you're appealing to somebody's, you know, emotion and sensibility. And the truth is a lot of people are going to find things humorous that, you know, you probably found humorous. They just Mm -hmm. need the context.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And, and you don't need to look at it as a, a, again, so many people will say like, Oh, I couldn't imagine I could never do, you know, what you did. And it's again, it's something where they could, they didn't, Which is fine. Like, if you go in with the, like, they will never understand, then you're, it's a self fulfilling prophecy. They will, they won't ever understand because you won't try and explain it and they won't try and understand it. If it's something where you go in that, like, I am a normal person and I had this experience, like, I'm not some kind of superhero or some kind of like unique, crazy person. I had this experience as a normal person. Imagine if you had that experience being a normal person. This is how you know I reacted, or this is why it was funny, or traumatic, or any of those things. I, I think you can get a lot further down the road to understanding.
0: I mean, I can honestly tell you that. 99.5 percent of the days I was deployed I had at some point laughed extremely hard yeah that's something <laughs> yeah there's a lot of ridiculous stuff that happens
1: totally I think of it like before I went to West Point I looked at it as like you know the the picture of the cadets on the parade field where it's like this super you know elite institution of higher learning where everyone is an absolute professional and a scholar athlete and all of these other kinds of things and you get there and like everyone there is a totally normal person generally speaking there's a couple weirdos yeah But but generally speaking, everyone is totally normal and is exactly like you in in a lot of regards. And it's like, oh, oh, okay. like I I don't need to put this on some crazy pedestal. This is just where I go to school.
0: That's totally true, too. Well, I just want to thank you so much. And I also want to say those who are listening, don't go and read Duffel Blog. It's not just about military. I'll read a couple of headlines here that Brian's put out uh, that are kind of universal. (laughs) Kim Jong-un in critical condition. Kim Jong Un in, in line for a top job. <laughs> Opinion: Everyone's a soldier boy until it's time to superman that hoe. Uh, it's yeah, a by General Mark write, write, writing as yeah, yeah General Mark Milley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Opinion: I would have joined the military too if I didn't think it was beneath me. These articles are are hilarious. They're great satire, and they're they're pretty universal. If there are some where you might have a little. A little bit of the inside joke, if you if you were in the military.
1: Totally, my my favorite one by far is uh, Taliban announces they won't visit White House if they win the
0: war on terror. <laughs> 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 That's good. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Go if you don't follow Duffel blog, go ahead and do that. It's hilarious, Great. and I think everybody kind of can get something out of that. If you're if you're someone who very much appreciate Sathar, like uh, like I know I do. Yeah, there's a
1: tons of um, ton of guys and girls writing for it. That <laughs> some are some are in, some are out, but like they do phenomenal work. I, I'm humbled to contribute even a little bit.
0: Yeah, and I, I know a few have, have gone on to uh, do some other good jobs too. Mm-hmm. So I think it's it's turning out some, some good talent in that way as well. Absolutely. No, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate you sharing uh, everything and it, it, good conversation, uh, humor and sometimes hilarity of, of combat um, is, is a subject I've really wanted to hit on for a long time. And, and I'm glad you come on and do that with me.
1: Absolutely. I really appreciate you having me. I'm a big fan of the podcast and yeah, you're doing great stuff. So thanks a lot for offering the invite and having me on. No, of course, man.
0: Thanks. A quick final reminder to head to emblemathletic.com to start working with a designer on your custom gear today. It's awesome gear that will never crack, peel, or fade. It's also the easiest and simplest team gear experience you will ever have. Stop waffling in the decision. Go start now. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to the show. If you liked it, please share with family and friends. And please consider leaving a rating or even better, a review. It really does help. And while you're at it, hit the subscribe button wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you'd like to connect with the show, you can visit the website at nstiwpodcast.com. Follow on Twitter at nstiwpodcast1 or on Instagram or Facebook at nstiwpodcast where you will receive additional notifications as well as additional content. If you're enjoying this podcast and would like to see it continue to dive into bigger and better stories, consider donating. Navigate to the website where you can read how the donation will be used and you can easily donate over PayPal. On a final note, if you or someone you know has a story worth telling, please submit a summary via a contact form on the website for consideration. Thanks again and get out there and do something worth telling about.